hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I'm Mr. Warren Hayes. It is June 16, 2020, uh, at the time that we're recording this wonderful podcast where we talk about professional wrestling all the time, recorded live on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes, and you're watching this or listening to this on demand or on your favorite podcast application, and for that, I appreciate it. Look, I'm not going to lie. I went long again tonight because there's a lot of stuff to talk. What a, what a crazy week in wrestling. So we're going to get to the basics straight off the bat. If you are watching this on YouTube.com right now, slash Mr. Warren Hayes, YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. If you're doing this right now, leave a like on the video, drop a comment. We're talking about so much stuff. What do you think is going to happen to Vince McMahon? Do you think that he's going to be ousted from the company or are they going to keep him on board? Uh, we've got more build towards AEW Forbidden Door, AEW New Japan Forbidden Door. Uh, matches are starting to pop up. Do you like the matches? Uh, do you Are you not quite invested in it? What would you like to see at uh, Forbidden Door? Let's talk about it. Drop some stuff in the comments. I'm going to respond. I promise I will. I like chatting about pro wrestling. I can't get enough of it. That's why I go so long on these podcasts these days. But I go right ahead and do it. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast application, such as Apple iTunes, maybe even Spotify, go right ahead. Leave a five-star review on Apple. Leave a, uh, a five-star rating on uh, on Spotify. Look, I hey, I'm even available now on Amazon Music. Ha! I'm spreading the love. I'm all over the place. Whatever you can do to show some to show some love, a subscription, a like, a follow, whatever on on all your applications, do it. And that helps out. It helps the show grow a great deal, tremendously. Also, don't don't forget to check out belttobells.com, your women's wrestling wire, B-E-L-L-T-O-B-E-L-L-E-E-S.com. You can also follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash belttobells and on Twitter at belttobells as well. Don't forget to join the Mr. Warren Hayes Show Discord. Subscribe to the channel. Is That'd be great. Looking to get those subs up. You know what else is great? Show a little support. Become a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel. It, it, a small contribution. It's totally, incredibly, amazingly appreciated. And uh, you'll get access to some members-only streams. So that stuff is always great. Look, I think I've got through everything that has to be uh, talked about this week. Uh, not everything that needs to be talked about because we're going to get into it but you know like the basic stuff like the housekeeping got that out of the way but look we're talking about Vince McMahon getting investigated uh, by his by the board of directors of uh, WWE we're talking uh, we're, we're going to talk about Sasha we're going to talk about Jeff Hardy we're going to talk about New Japan Dominion we're going to talk about the stuff that's happening over in Pro Wrestling Noah and on top of that we're going to be reviewing Dynamite thank you everyone for being here let's get right to it now of course Regulars know that we cannot officially start the Mr. Warren Hayes show until I have said something nice about Bill Goldberg. Warren Hayes has 52 nice things to say about Goldberg. Bill would never approve of a $3 million settlement to hush someone up. Unless it was for Bret Hart. Warren Hayes has 52 nice things to say about Goldberg. I've been doing the weekly wrestling inspection for a while, but it was mostly reviews, right? They like the weekly wrestling inspection is supposed to be about reviews. 
right? But when I talk about news, that's a whole other thing. So I'm, so I've decided to split the two up, create two different segments. So we're going to start by talking about the news. And I even have uh, a little jingle to go along with it. Let's go right in with the most important, the most crucial, the the biggest news to to hit uh, to hit pro wrestling this year. I mean, I think this is actually sort of uh, going uh, going above anything work shoot related. Um, the WWE Board of Directors are investigating secret uh, are investigating a secret settlement involving Vince McMahon and a former employee. Uh, I'm going to read uh, most of this report as written by John Pollock over at uh, Post Wrestling, who did a very good job making everything very uh, condensed, clear, and smart. Follow Post Wrestling uh, on Twitter and all your socials and as well their website, postwrestling.com. An explosive report from the Wall Street Journal states that WWE's board of directors is investigating a secret settlement deal involving Vince McMahon and a former employee. On Wednesday afternoon, June 15, uh, Wall Street Journal reporters Joe Palazzo and Ted Mann reported that alleged January 22 separation agreement worth $3 million involved a former paralegal who was hired in 2019 and engaged in a relationship with McMahon. The report states that the board began its investigation in April and discovered other non-disclosure agreements involving former female employees making misconduct claims against McMahon and executive John Laurinaitis. According to the Wall Street Journal sources, the previous non-disclosure agreements were tabbed as quote-unquote millions of dollars worth of payments. The law firm Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett LLP is overseeing the investigation and states that preliminary findings believe that McMahon used his personal funds to pay the former female employee, again, as per the Wall Street Journal. A spokesperson with WWE tells the Wall Street Journal that it is cooperating with the inquiry and classified the relationship between McMahon and the former employee as, quote-unquote, consensual. McMahon's attorney, Jerry McDevitt, who, by the way, I'm just breaking out of the script here. Jerry McDevitt, the guy who got him off of, uh, who got, who saved McMahon from the steroid trial, right? It, like, he's been he's been with uh, with Vince for for a long, long time. So McMahon's attorney, Jerry McDevitt of KNL Gates, sent a letter to the Wall Street Journal and stated that the former employee made no allegations of harassment against McMahon and added that, quote, WWE did not pay any monies, exact, on her departure, and unquote. Wall Street Journal reports that members of the board of directors first learned of the $3 million agreement after receiving anonymous emails from an alleged friend of the ex-employee. The friend claimed that the former employee was hired at a salary of $100,000 and moved up to $200,000 after beginning a sexual relationship with McMahon with the mail with the email, pardon me, adding that McMahon is alleged is alleged that he quote gave her like a toy, unquote, 
to Laurinaitis, Laurian, John Laurinaitis, excuse me, and claims McDevitt paid her millions of dollars to shut up. WWE's 12-person board of directors consists of Vince McMahon, Nick Khan, Stephanie McMahon, uh, and uh, who's still on the board, by the way, uh, despite her leave of absence, uh, Paul Levesque, so those are actually like the the only WWE executives who are on the board. After that, there are eight uh, independent members. Um, Steve Coonan, who is the chief executive officer of the Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena. Ignace Lahoud, I hope I pronounced that right, who is the chief executive officer of Mahid Al-Futaym Leisure Entertainment and Cinemas. So deeply entrenched in, uh, in the entertainment business. Erica Nardini, who is the Uh, CEO of Barstool Sports, Steve Paman, who is the president of Versus, Connor Shell, founder and chief executive officer of Words and Pictures, Manjit Singh, uh, former president of home uh, of uh, Sony Home Entertainment and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Uh, he is uh, also the lead uh, independent director for these eight non-WWE, non-WWE executives who are on the board. Jeffrey R. Speed, who was the former uh, executive vice president and CEO of Six Flags. And finally, Alan M. Wexler, senior vice president of innovations and growth at General Motors. So, this is a uh, true-to-form, clear-as-daylight scandal right this is the, the this is it right here and you know i anyone who's been following the wwe you know for years at this point knows that you know as far as as far as scandals go you know the this is one amongst uh, amongst many it's maybe not even the most shocking but it is one that could have potential ripple effects right um Dan Heyman left us a super chat. Thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate it. He says, he asks, is Vince powerful enough to sweep this under the carpet? In parentheses, he says, hope not. Or does the fact WWE is publicly trading essentially the ring of death, uh, is essentially ringing the death knell for him? Um, those are, that's a, that's, that's the question everyone is asking, right? Is this the thing that, um, uh, Is this, is this the thing that is going to finally, you know, oust Vince McMahon from his from WWE from the world of wrestling, right? Um, if we're talking of talking facts here, right? And it, at this point, um, if we're still talking facts, it's a hard question to answer, right? Because and it's the question that everyone's asking: It's like, well, is this going to be enough to, to to kick Vince out? It's going to be hard. To do because Vince owns a third or over a third of the shares of WWE. And by the way, shout out to WrestleNomics, Brandon Thurston for uh, doing tons of legwork again. Uh, good friend of the show. Uh, subscribe to their to, to his Patreon. No one uh, works harder to make sense of all of the business of WWE than Brandon does. So. Um, so he owns a third of the shares of WWE, right? 37 to 38%. Steph owns, Stephanie McMahon owns like 2% of the shares. Linda, less than one. But the thing here is, 
is that all of these all of these three McMahons, and apparently Shane used to be in this setup here. He used to he used to own shares, but not anymore. But the thing here is that all these McMahons, Vince, Stephanie, Linda, they all own Class B shares, which essentially count for 10 times the vote as a Class A share. So if I were, you know, I'm a Joe Schmo, which, you know, is pretty much that. And, and you know, and I and I purchase some shares, you know, from, uh, you know, either a mutual fund or directly from a stockbroker. I'm getting class A shares. So one share, one vote. But Vince has one share. One share for him is 10 votes. So he can, he can easily, I think it, it, it rounds up to something like around 80% of the voting power uh, is contracted to Vince. So, so essentially, he's in a very, very powerful position where he can overturn anything that the board wants to do, that the shareholders uh, need to vote on. He can out, he can outdo everyone, right? Vapros Vape, nice to see you. Welcome to the chat. Another member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel. So, again, if we're if we're still talking about Vince being outed, can can he be kicked off, uh, kicked out of the uh, kicked out of the company? Well, he, like the board could go. Hey, there's enough wrong, wrongdoing here, right? We see it. And and but they can't push him out, like Vince. This unless I think I think unless it's a criminal offense, right? Where he's you know, and he and I think even then there he has to be indicted. You know, like I there's there's nothing that that will there's no eject button is what I'm trying to say. Um. So unless Vince himself divests himself of his shares. It's unlikely he's going anywhere, right? Um, but we have to think of this on another uh, on another level. So maybe it's not in the boardroom that this is going to shake down. Maybe there's going to be some collateral damage to this, right? Because this type of scandal in any other universe, you know... It, in any other business industry it shakes it shakes the company to the core and then you know it's something that becomes irredeemable but vince has this capacity of living within scandal and weird allegations let's put it that way for now and uh and surviving but now he's also playing in the big leagues. He wanted to play in the big leagues. He always wanted to have a seat at the billionaire's table. He always wanted to be seen as someone more than just a wrestling promoter. Well, here you are, but now you're playing big league games with big league stakes. And, well, look, I have some sub, some suppositions, but we're still going to talk like, uh, no, not too much speculation just yet. Well, I mean, we're still going to do a little bit of speculation, but because, you see, this could potentially have negative effects to WWE's business partners, right? Because these are the kinds of allegations that don't sit well with high-ranking execs and ad partners. So if it becomes harder for WWE to reach out to sponsors and, and get sponsorships, right? 
then it becomes harder for Fox and NBC to sell uh, to sell the ad space during their programming. And trying to get like those high level, high paying uh, advertisers, right? Which is something WWE has been successfully doing, right? We're not talking about the five-hour energy bullshit from the Attitude Era. Like, right now, we've got, like, insurance companies. We've got, you know, candy bars. I'm convinced that they would like to... They would absolutely love to get uh, into the beer... uh, Into beer ads. Because that's a ton of money from, 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 from that industry right there. So there might be that kind of blowback from their from WWE's partners where they're like, look, we can't handle having Vince right now anymore because no one wants to do business with us because Vince is a creep. Which is I think is a fair I think that's a fair guess a fair guess. Um I think this could also be a play to set the likelihood of a sale as well. I've been taught this isn't new to anyone who's been listening to me. I you know, I've been telling you guys over and over and over again. Nick Khan was brought into WWE to make WWE uh, uh enticing for sale. They want to that's why they got rid of the network. That's why they consolidated everything into creating content. Uh, that's why they fired a whole bunch of uh, of people just to make everything more streamlined, more efficient, focused on one thing, creating content, selling out arenas, selling out stadiums. That's what they that's the business that they want to do because that's where all the content is because then they can turn go back to their partners and be able to get more licensing deals, better licensing deals with different uh with different suppliers on top of that. So you know, the sale talk is still there. And I think Vince right now, this this could be the result of pressure being put on Vince to sell the company. Um, because on one hand, you know, it will set a baseline for for the stock prices, which is going to make it much more attractive to anyone coming in and looking, oh, well, the, the stock is around here right now. Because around scandals, they usually plummet, but only to raise again once a sale has been announced or goes through or so on and so forth. So that's, I mean, it's just strategy at this point, right? It's it's really just strategy. There's a theory going around that, uh, that Vince could avoid this, could avoid all of this by ramming his, his hand on the table and taking his company private again. Buying out all the shares from everyone, from the from the board, everyone, right? And Brandon was doing the math on this. Uh, Brandon Thurston was doing the math on this. Trust me, it's his math, not mine. But if Vince were to, let's say, get a couple of investors in and wanted to buy back all his shares to be like, no, I am the boss. I'm the boss here, which is essentially what Vince is and what he's always been. Uh, he could... Uh, it would probably cost him like $4 billion to do it, to buy back everything and make WWE private again. 
So that that's a possibility. Is it something he can? He, it's something he could do. Will he do it? That's a whole other ball of wax. Might end up sending selling WWE to the uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I'm a half joking, half joking. You know, nothing would surprise me at this stage. So it's it it's a very 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 interesting setup here, and of course people have been pointing to uh, to Stephanie McMahon's um, been pointing to Stephanie McMahon's leave of absence, right? That she took on May nineteen, because the first email that was sent to the board of directors was on March thirtieth. So the investigation, according to the Wall Street Journal, has started like about a month ago, started over just a little, about a month ago. But the first email was was sent on, on the 30th. And as you all recall, Stephanie is a member of the board. So is she taking this time off because she really wants to separate, uh, separate herself from all of this? Maybe, probably, but she's also still on the board. She might not be handling her, her, her uh, marketing brand director roles, anymore her brand director duties but she's still on the board of wwe and so is h triple h they're both still there that's the picture right now these are the like the the that's like the 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 scenario that we have right now now let's speculate Let's have a little fun. There are no facts moving on, moving forward here. Because this is as close to, I, like, a lot of people were uh, talk, talk about the, 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 the show Succession, right? And how a lot of stuff that's happening here is being mirrored, right? Uh, or that you can draw parallels, anyway. Now, I don't know, but this is as close to a, uh, a War of the Roses kind of situation you know, monarchs jockeying for power, as I as I can remember. You know, for you know something happening in our modern age, I like this. I have trouble really finding something that's been that's being so well documented. Here's what I'm thinking, and chat. Let's go wild a little bit here. Let's have a little fun. Type in your. Your 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 expectations, what you think is going on here. <clears throat> Ultimately, I'm thinking that this is the penultimate power play by Nick Khan to kick Vince out of the company and sell WWE. Because Vince, this is something that has followed Vince from practically day one, years and years and years. Vince has always, always established the idea that he will never sell his company. He will never leave his company, right? Never, ever. And he's going to do this until he dies. Because don't forget, Vince does, all he does is work, right? As what, you know, as uh, as was uh, uh, explained to us in that very humanizing video uh, interview by Pat McAfee, right? That 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 interview that made Vince 
palpable, right? Like a, a just another a regular Joe who just works really hard, right? That that very that very grounded down to earth interview that made him look human, right? Um, he doesn't he he sleeps like four hours a day. He trains at two in the morning. He, the, I mean, he he doesn't go on vacations. He's never gone on vacation. I believe that. He's always, always working. That's all he knows. Personally, I think that's insane. Like, I know, I know a lot of people, a lot of people who subscribe to the, you know, the hustle lifestyle are like, oh, man, much respect. Much respect. I don't, res- no, that's, that's insanity. That's, that's sociopathic. It's weird. Who does that? Anyway, back to the idea here that see, the, the point being that Vince, you know, n- never saw an out for him in WWE. He was going to bring it to the soaring heights and probably die in his chair, you know, calling shots in the ring or whatever. And I believe that I believe I believe that Vince will never leave the company. I think he's ready to sell. I think he's he, he's seen the potential of building his company into a media company uh, as opposed to just a wrestling promotion. I think he's seen the benefit here and he's like he's ready to make to make a huge amount of money. And then it was supposed to trickle down to Stephanie and Shane, right? We don't even know uh, what kind of relationship that uh, is actually still going on here. We don't know anything. But here, back to my point. This is the power play for TK. Uh, not TK, T- uh, Nick Khan, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> um, this is the Nick Khan power play here. He, he, he wants to, he wants to sell the company make a a good chunk of change off of it and you know maybe there's maybe Vince is a problem to selling right maybe first and foremost right Vince is like no firm I'm not I'm not selling and as we mentioned previously he's got the majority voting uh, majority of voting shares right there's no way uh, anyone can contest Vince at this point because he's just he's just too powerful. That's fine. Um, maybe you know. There's also a there's also a a, a, a train of thought where uh, you know if you're let's say Comcast, which apparently is probably the most logical suitor for WWE. If you're Comcast and you're buying this production company, you probably want the people who were there to bring their to bring, come over to you so that they can, you can immediately have the expertise, right? So there's something logical in saying, well, bring in the boss. The boss, you know, rode the company for 30, 40 years up until this point into this huge success. So we might as well tap his brain on stuff, right? But I would assume that Vince is, to quote unquote, uh, certain, certain subjects uh, is difficult to work with. I'm not sure any, I'm not sure there's a bunch, everyone in an, in an executive boardroom is really excited to have Vince McMahon sitting there and being Vince McMahon, right? 
I I don't think I don't think you know I think he himself might be a deterrent for people to be like I don't want to deal with Vince. Well, I'm not I'm not selling the company if I'm being ousted. You know that kind of just like you know get rid of Vince. We'll buy we'll buy your company. When Vince is like, no, I'm staying. You buy my company, I come with it, kind of thing. So maybe, and again, we're just speculating here. If this is the Nick Khan power play, the only, the the best way to get rid of Vince in this situation is to turn him into a liability. Now, as wrestling fans, as I mentioned earlier, as wrestling fans, we know Vince McMahon has been a liability for decades. Nancy Argentino's death. The Ring Boys, The Steroid Trial, Rita Chatterton, Mich- Michelle McGurk. But this, this is a big time mainstream media uh, uh, scandal. This is one that that isn't easily sweepable under the mat because now he's running a public, uh, publicly owned corporation. He's beholden to his, to his stakeholders stockholders and stakeholders and you know reports are public so on and so forth there's an, a level of accountability here because people are investing in the stock market their money so if he's doing shit that they don't like they can pull they can pull their money so you this is how so there's accountability i'm investing money into wwe what what are you doing with a ceo who has predatory behavior towards his staff has a history of it, and now we're, we're we we have lawyers here, we have firms coming in to investigate. You know, the mainstream media is waking up to this, right? And if they start to dig, if anyone starts to dig, it's only going to get worse. That's why I was saying earlier. This, as far as Vince McMahon scandals go, that's pretty tame. Don't think Nick Khan knows this. Nick Khan is absolutely aware just how much of a liability is Vince and he's putting it out there. I'm just speculating. But then he goes and he puts it out there. Again, just speculating. Vince... Vince wanted to play in the big leagues. Well, the big leagues are playing with him. You know, big time, sleazeball, Hollywood slash sports types. It's sharks eating sharks at this point. And Triple H is back in the picture, right? And he's been seen with with Nick Khan, right? Now, again, we're just shooting the shit. We're just speculating because... Honestly, as tr- this this is entertaining. This is good drama. This is interesting to think about. What if, you know, Comcast says, "Well, you know, we want to buy you guys, but we need some of that expertise, right?" Well, Nick Khan goes, "Look, I'm Nick Khan. My record speaks for myself. Look at what I got here. I've got Paul Levesque who is a who is a career wrestler he's run a brand for Vince he knows he knows the world of wrestling he understands how it works 
uh, I'll be the brains, he'll be the creative. We'll be le right brain, left brain kind of thing. That's how we're going to handle it. I, there's no, it's not, um, I don't think it's all that coincidental that suddenly Trips and, and Nick Khan are doing things. I don't think this is coincidental. This is, this is fascinating stuff. And I can promise you, because of stuff that I've witnessed in other jobs and so on and so forth, if this is the this type of uh, of uh, uh, boardroom uh, 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 shenanigans right now, this type right here, this has been going on for months, and if it's spilling over into the public consciousness, it is not an accident. This is not something that just happened out of nowhere. This is a power play. We're heading into the final stretch here. And some heads are going to roll here. John Laurinaitis most probably. Laurinaitis he, he you know, he he's a he's a he's a Vince uh psychophant, right? That's all he is. He'll take he'll take a blow for Vince. No biggie. No biggie at all. Um, but there is ultimately going to be just one survivor out of all of this. And I honestly think that it's going to be Nick Khan because Nick Khan has contacts. He knows the people. He knows people all over media. And he's playing Vince right now. I, this is all assumptions. I'm, I want to make sure that this is clear. I have zero information regarding this. Zero. Even uh, Meltzer today or yesterday on um, on uh, the Wrestling Observer, he said, look, I haven't heard anything about this being uh, tied to Nick Khan in any way. There's no reason. There's no reason to believe it's true. We're just speculating, having a gas here. It's just I wouldn't be surprised. Nick knows all these people. Vince has always been a recluse. Hates the mainstream media. Hates it with a passion. He's hated it for decades. He doesn't give interviews. He doesn't show up. He, he hates the media. Why? Probably because he's got uh, a couple of uh, uh, skeletons in his closet. And the more he's away from the mainstream media, uh, the less people will stop uh, start asking questions. Now you've got this bombshell that drops. And it's a bombshell. Don't see it any other way. And look, and it's not even a question of whether the relationship was consensual or not. That's not even... If it's not, it's worse. Okay? If it's not, it is so terribly worse. But apparently it was consensual. That's what uh, McDevitt says, right? Even if it is right now, this this is a breach of their code of conduct. It's in their code of conduct that this kind of shit shouldn't happen. And this is coming from the top. This is the representation of your company. This is bad. Nikon knows this. He knows how this works. You want to take someone down, you just uh, flash a couple of uh, a couple of allegations there that um, that you know are pretty pretty f strong. 
But they this is a this is a move to push Vince out. This is absolutely a move to get Vince out of the picture. I'll tell you one thing. I'm I have no idea how this is gonna go. But when all this is cleared, I can promise you one thing, there will be no more McMahon imprint on WWE. It the family business is done. It's going to be something completely different. Here's the thing, though. Vince McMahon... Uh, 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 Vince McMahon is not out of the, the woods yet because even just before all of this, uh, the, in, the, this happened, this worst-case scenario happened, uh, the, his, his uh, problems with uh, uh, Oliver Luck, former XFL commissioner, right... They've been embroiled in, in, in a legal spat. Well, the McMahon-Luck situation is headed for trial after settlement talks... Uh, after the settlement talks fell through. And they're suing each other over Luck's XFL commissioner contract. Uh, let me read this update here from uh, the uh, Figure 4 Online. Alpha Entertainment's Vince McMahon and former XFL commissioner Oliver Luck's lawsuits against one another are headed to trial after today's settlement talks lasted just nine minutes. That was yesterday, June 15. So this was before. This was before. Just hours before the Wall Street Journal shit fell. Pro Football Talk and the Athletics' Daniel Kaplan uh, report that mediators met with representatives for both sides on Wednesday in an attempt to reach a settlement agreement, but that but those talks quickly fizzled. Luck is suing McMahon's company for $23.8 million in compensation from his XFL contract after McMahon had provided a personal guarantee that Luck would be paid. McMahon countersued Luck, alleging that Alpha incurred damages over $572,000 as a result of Luck breaching his contract and duties. Trial date is set for June 11. So, so, and this is all Vince is countersuing on the basis that Luck hired, I can't remember the name of the football player, but that Luck hired a football player that was, uh, uh, that had some, um, some weird some some strange business uh, off the field, right? That wasn't a reputable sort. Because Vince had said when he's starting up the XFL, you know, we're not hiring criminals or anyone who has a criminal past or, you know, so on and so forth. To sort of one-up the NFL, right? And appara- apparently this was the grounds for termination. It's, God, this, it's so bizarre. So Vince was already part of a disaster. And now... We're bound to learn much more about these dealings within the trial. And this is this is kind of unprecedented because it has been, I don't, I think since the steroid trial, WWE has always, always favored to get a settlement out of court so that nothing would be exposed, so that their business practices stay secret, so that everything stays very, very hush-hush. Every time. 
This is going to be an unprecedented case. I know it's not WWE per se, but it's Vince. Vince was already in a pile of shit. The Sharks are tasting blood. Brothers and sisters. Non-binary pals. They're tasting it. They're circling Vince right now. They know his time is coming. I'm I'm very much looking forward to see what is going to be uncovered here. There's going to be more insights into Vince with this trial. Fascinating stuff. Raj Jiri from uh, Wrestling Inc. Yesterday, late late yesterday, as if the as if the news that was coming down yesterday was wasn't keeping us on our toes enough, as if it wasn't keeping us busy enough. Um, Raj tweets out the following <clears throat> quote: "I'm hearing Sasha Banks has been released. I don't know if it's she requested it." Or if it was on WWE's end. Unquote. Oh! Did that... Did that send things afire? Did that just like... Brush! Right? What... What of... What, what was Raj thinking? No, I haven't. Uh, but... It certainly got people talking. Certainly got people excited. To the point that... Sasha hit up her Instagram today reminding people that she doesn't go on Twitter because of all the nonsense they make up about her. She po- that's what she posted. Something like that, right? That Something to that, to, to that effect. I don't go on Twitter because they're constantly making shit up or something like that. El, pa- el pollo gato, el gallo pato loco. Got- Excuse me, let me try that again. El gato pollo loco. Nice to see you and welcome to the chat. Oh, yeah. So... There hasn't been anything official that has been, um, there's nothing, there's nothing that's been confirmed from anyone right now. No one from Sasha's camp, no one from WWE's camp that this was a thing. Uh, I'm not surprised that she went ahead and asked for some release, asked for a release. Apparently she's even got lawyers involved. I'm going to echo some sentiments that were transmitted on Twitter last night. But if I'm a pro wrestler and I am dissatisfied with my tenure in world wrestling entertainment right now, this is the perfect time to go and request your release or just walk out the door. Because I promise you right now, they have... They, being WWE, have no leverage. They've got nothing to pin you down. You could go up to Laurinaitis and say, Buddy, I'm hitting the bricks. And there's nothing you could do. Not nothing. But you're in the best possible situation right now. To get one over Vince. And you know what? I have no pity for Vince McMahon. If anyone does use this as leverage, if anyone knows some juicy secrets and they're like, Vince, I could go testify. I could go testify that I saw X doing Y to Z. Absolutely. Unless you give me my unconditional release without, uh, you know, 
without a uh, 90-day non-compete or whatever. Just give me my release. I'll be gone and I'll shut up. That's absolutely something you could do. And why not do it? Vince would do it. Vince has done it. I think this this is a kind of situation that uh, I, I believe it's called, I think the technical term is karma. Turn the tables on them. There's no way they're going to fight you going out the door, especially if you know shit, especially if you have pictures on your phone or you have texts or, you, or just that you fucking witnessed something. pressure on him Sasha and anyone else who wants out put the pressure on him squeeze him I'm starting to think you know Stephanie taking a break isn't it kind of convenient that Roman Reigns as well is sort of all of a sudden he's sort of like out of the picture and I'm not accusing Roman of doing anything but more like Roman being like you know what this is going to be a shit storm and I don't want to be around for this I feel this is information that the top guy in the company would be privy to uh, Bruce Pritchard is going to have surgery. Isn't that interesting? I'm ready to bet that there's a lot of people who know this. A lot of people who are who were aware that this was coming. The investigation's been going on for a month. This is the wrestling business. People talk. They talk all the fucking time. I, I, I use this to your advantage and there will be no shame in it absolutely no shame sure look Cena's coming back for now but I can promise you one thing if this gets worse before it's get before it gets better John Cena Hollywood star John Cena is going to pump the brakes and is going to be like, brother, I can't do this anymore. This ain't going to work for me, brother. He's going to be out of here. Just as simple as that. So we don't know if Sasha's gone. Hasn't been confirmed yet. What did I give her? I said within two years. Two years she'll be gone. When I did, when I made that uh, that statement earlier this year, Christ should have gone. Should have gone bold. Should have been a little more bullish. And call six months. Sasha will be fine. Sasha is not going to be blacklisted from the wrestling industry for doing this. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And and here's the thing. And I maintain this. I absolutely maintain this. Sa- when Sasha leaves WWE, she's she's going to Hollywood. She's going to show up at events. She's going to do red carpets. People are going to be like, who is this woman? She's going to start getting bit parts in movies. Just like she got bit parts in The Mandalorian. She's in the fucking Star Wars franchise. For fuck's sake. Stop it. 
She's gonna start getting bits, little smaller roles. She'll you know, voice. She'll do some voiceover in a you know in an illumination uh, cartoon movie. She'll be doing all that, and then eventually she's just gonna. That's all she's gonna be doing. She's gonna be working in Hollywood. How successful? Well, we'll see. That'll depend on the decisions that she makes. But Sasha, Sasha, Sasha's tailor made for all of this. Sasha is tailor made. She's not going to AEW. She's not. She's going to be done with wrestling. For now. Because of course, she can circle back and come back. Why wouldn't she? They all have. Cena. The Rock. Hogan. Uh, 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 Batista. They've all circled back when it was good for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. The wrestling industry will always welcome back Sasha Banks with open arms. Don't kid yourselves. They'll always... And of course, if I'm Tony Khan, of course, if I'm Tony Khan, I'm calling my dad Shad. And I'm saying, Papa, Papa, uh, could you crack open six more trust funds because... I need to, I need to buy, I need to uh, hire Sasha Banks. And he doesn't talk like, I know Tony Khan isn't like, it doesn't have like an aristocratic thing. I know it's not, it's like my, my, my real impersonation. Like a real impersonation of Tony Khan would be like something like, Hey dad, listen, I got an idea. Why don't you give me more money so I can, so I can uh, uh, go and hire Sasha Banks. I mean, she, yeah, she's worth a lot of money, man. Yeah, but it's going to be a good return on investment. I believe you me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll go ahead and clip it. <laughs> go, go right ahead. Um, I, because honestly, look, if 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 Sasha were to be like, no, you know what, I'm not done with wrestling. You know what? As a fan, you know what I'd want her to do? I'd want her to hit the bricks, go off to Japan for a three-month run and go wrestle in TJPW, wrestle Julia, wrestle Mayu, wrestle Shuri. Just get the, give us the Kyrie match that we deserved, you know, kind of thing. That's, I'm being, that's, as a selfish wrestling fan, that's what I'd want. I want Sasha to go, like, wrap up her, you know, her wrestling tenure by just, you know, getting the shit kicked out of her and her kicking the shit out of other girls in Japan. I'd love that. That's that's exactly what I'd want. I'd, if, if. But I really, 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 really think she's not, she's done. I think she's done. For now. Want to say hi to J.S. Brown. Good to see you, sir. Welcome to the chat. Because Sasha's a game changer. Sorry about that. That's the last thing. Because I saw Carlos's comment. Sasha is absolutely a game changer. She does. She would request that type of money. And she is a game changer. She is absolutely a game changer. You guys have no idea. I, I No, I think a lot of you do have an idea. About how vibrant and dynamic her fan base is. I'm using very complimentary adjectives, aren't I? These are people who will stop watching WWE 
to watch AEW because Sasha's on it. WWE had her. Didn't know what to do with her. They decided to bring back Ronda Rousey. Randy Orton is gone. <gasps> no, but he's 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 been uh he he's uh there's a report going out there uh that uh Randy Orton might have to undergo back surgery and might be gone for the remainder of 20 uh of uh 2022 which uh which isn't good which really isn't good um i'll read the the report here according to uh fightful wwe fears randy orton will have to undergo surgery for the back injury he's been dealing with uh if orton uh, does need to undergo surgery he will likely be out for the remainder of 2022 orton hasn't been on wwe television since the may 20th episode of smackdown where rk bro lost a tag team title unification match against the usos Uh, There was then a post-match angle where Roman Reigns and the Usos attacked Orton and Riddle. So, um, so, and, you know, the the Fightful report says that, uh, that uh, Orton has uh, uh, work, uh, had work done to improve his condition, but things have gotten progressively worse. These are quotes from the report. Um, So... Sucks for Randy Orton, and I hope he's able to heal up and come back. He was quite arguably, probably on the most entertaining run of his career. I think it's been, I, I you know, for, I think he's been, it's been right up there. Uh, and uh, he's been solidifying his legacy. So it's a shame that this happens. But, you know, uh, hopefully he rests, he heals up quickly and he's able to come back and 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 compete uh injuries are always terrible uh to wrestlers but holy crap you guys gals non-binary pals who's left there's no more top people in wwe roman's on the roman schedule let's just call it what it is uh um uh edge is gone well, look, there's a big rumor that Edge is leaving, right? It's rumor, 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 rumor. That Edge is leaving. Uh, 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 um, Cody's injured. Brock's not there. Where, like, where are the superstars? Where are these big time wrestlers? There's none. You know why? Because WWE didn't build any. They didn't build anyone else. Because everything was centered around one guy. Two guys when Brock was there. And then Brock was like, well, my contract's done. Let me, I'm going to go skin grizzly bears now. I don't know what to tell you. This... How long have we been talking about this in regards to Roman? But even before that, WWE doesn't create new stars. Doesn't create draws. You can argue that Roman is. You can argue that there are that there's top-tier level talent in the company. Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins. 
Matt Riddle is clearly who they're trying to position here. But that's it. And they're not proven draws. None of them are. There are no stars. There are no superstars. Not in the WWE definition of superstar. Like I'm talking textbook dictionary definition of superstar. There's none. Because they haven't been building anyone. You know, if I were WWE, you know what I would do? Bank on the women. I'd bank 100% on the women because outside of Roman, those are the only big stars that attract attention. Becky, Bianca, Charlotte, Bailey, if she ever finishes by, if she ever ends up coming back. Bank on your women. Helen Cell this year was a two-match card. You heard my review last week. Of course, the the, the Cody-Seth match was amazing. Just absolutely fantastic. What was the other great match on the show? The women. And the women deliver more times than not. And I'm talking to the WWE women. Look at what happened at WrestleMania. Becky and Bianca, they have themselves, uh, they have themselves a five-star match, a match of the year candidate, unquestionable. Then they have Ronda there too. Ronda stinks up the joint. Everyone sitting on their hands. They don't give a shit. And as much as as much as there's people, there, there's a whole contingent of people who are sick of Charlotte. The point of the matter is Charlotte draws the attention. Charlotte gets the job done in the ring. She's not perfect, but she gets it done. It's not Charlotte's fault that WWE decided to overexpose her. That's not that's not on her. She goes out, she does her job, and she does it fucking well. Then you've got Bianca. You know, and if they really wanted to, they could push they could put push Oscar to the moon. If they really wanted to, they've got Rhea Ripley who is right there in the wings waiting to become a real deal superstar for that company. Bank on the women. The women carried the company along with Drew McIntyre throughout the pandemic era, through the Thunderdome era, through the, the fucking gymnasium, uh, wherever the fuck they were, the, 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 the performance center, that era too. It was all the women. Women, women, women. Why wouldn't you put your faith in them? Becky, Becky is a huge, huge fan favorite, regardless of how you book her. Bianca as well. What the hell is wrong with this company? No, they're, they're going to... Are they gonna, Look, they could dredge up Drew if they wanted. But Drew's been cooled off significantly. Same thing with Bobby Lashley. Why the fuck would you put Bobby Lashley in a feud with Omas? Makes no sense. They've got hot prospects. Oh, but we got to cool them off. Very important. I'll tell you one thing. I don't like to do the one-to-one comparisons because sometimes I think they're false equivalencies. But All Elite Wrestling lost their top guy in CM Punk. They lost their previous top guy, of course, due to injuries, right? Let's clarify. Lost CM Punk due to injury. Lost Kenny Omega due to injury. They didn't miss a beat. Why? 
because they're constantly building people because they have top talent that they can interchange and put at the top and that is credible at the top or even knock them down a little bit on the card so that they're on an upper mid card position and still feel fresh and hot and exciting. WWE focuses on a couple of people at a time and that's it. And then we rotate in and out. It's, it's, and they're, this is what's going to happen. SummerSlam is not going to sell out. I can, this is my prediction. SummerSlam's not going to sell out. Not, not unless they move it out of the stadium. But it's not. Not unless, and this is a theory that was thrown out today, today when I was chatting about, not unless they bring Brock back again, which is entirely possible because they have no stars. And I, look, and you know how how badly they don't have any stars? This is a discussion I haven't heard much. But think about it. They have so little stars. Top talent. Top guys in that company. That they had to go bring a guy who left the company to become a star. They had to bring that guy back who went and made himself a star. They didn't make Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes made Cody Rhodes. They had so little, so such a, a small percentage of top people that they had to bring back a, a top star that they didn't even make. That's how desperate and desolate this situation is. Since we're talking about people who are done with uh, WWE, uh, Paige is done too. don't know if you heard about this, but... Uh, she uh, she announced um, she announced recently that her, she was going to let her contract run out. Um, I'm going to read this off of uh, the post wrestling article here. Coming this July, Sarah Jade Bevis, aka Paige, will be finishing up with WWE. She issued a statement on her social media platforms and thanked the company for the opportunities they've given her. She noted that after her career-ending neck injury, she knows that it was hard to uh, keep her around for so long, and she's grateful for that. She will officially be a free agent on July seven, uh, and uh, she little bit little uh, interesting tidbit here from the message that she put out. She said, "FYI, I'm not saying I'll never be in the ring. That day will most certainly come again, wherever that return may be." So hey, what? I mean, look. She did good for her. They wanted to keep her around. Didn't want her to wrestle. Uh, they, 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 they kept her jailed up or whatever. Fine. Milk them for all they're worth. I'm absolutely okay with that. Good for, good for Paige. Now, if she wants to come back and wrestle, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, I don't know what the next, um, I don't know what the next step is for her. She hasn't wrestled for so long. And the style has changed quite a bit. Like, she's going to have to go through a lot of retraining, I guess, you know? Even if she's if she's cleared in the first place, right? Which I hope so. Like, look, if she if she wants to wrestle again, she still has that bug. Good for her. And I think she should. But I think it's going to be a, a long way back for, for Paige, but good for her. Jeff Hardy earlier this week was suspended without pay by AEW with the provision that uh, he will only they will only take him back if he completes 
treatment and maintains his sobriety. His pro wrestling career should not be the focus right now as Hardy is facing three charges, including a felony DUI after his arrest Monday morning in Volusia County, Florida. Uh, these, uh, this is a, um, a roundup from by uh, John Pollock over at Post Wrestling that I'm reading, by the way. The latest wake-up call was captured with chilling dash cam footage from the Florida Highway Patrol. The 37-minute video included Hardy swerving on the interstate, guns drawn by the troopers, and Hardy struggling to park the vehicle before his field test and subsequent arrest. Hardy, 44 years old, has had various public issues stemming back to nearly two decades and underlines the realities of living with addiction and its constant struggle. That aspect of the story will generate sympathy from Hardy uh, from Hardy fighting something greater than himself and not necessarily being in control. And I want to echo a lot of what John is, says in the rest of this article here um, because um, there is, I, I, you know, I'm rooting for Jeff Hardy. I, I've rooted for him from the moment that uh, I, I learned that he was, um, that he was addicted, that he had substance abuse issues. Um, I was rooting for him from the get go, and I still am. And every time that he stumbles, I just wish he gets right back up. Um, in this situation here, it is a miracle no one was hurt. It's a miracle no one was hurt. Which is why, like, as much as I'm rooting for him, there's there's no excuse for him to have taken his car. There's no excuse for him to... It's not even his car. It was a rental. Right? And wasn't his license suspended? How did he get a rental? And I... I, I understand that addicts' brains are wired differently than... Than, uh... You know, someone who's not... Uh, who, who's who, who's not afflicted as such, and in many cases, you know, the addicts don't care about consequences because they, you know, it, it's always very selfish. They always think, you know, it's thinking about yourself, so you don't think about the consequences. And in, in some circumstances, you don't even care what happens to yourself, but you don't think that this might have reach to other people. I think this, you know, for me, this is the, there's. It's a line that was crossed. He's he's dodged catastrophe way too often. And, you know, there's been a very, very unfortunate incident recently in the world of wrestling um, where someone with the same type of afflictions um, uh, was uh, behind the wheel of their car and, uh, and, and, and killed a pedestrian. And I don't want this for Jeff. Because all of this, all of this, is outshining a career for from a man who is still to this day genuinely beloved and a legitimate wrestling superstar, a guy who has influenced so many people in it to wrestle and to watch wrestling and to enjoy wrestling. I. I can't help but think that the wrestling business itself is bad for Jeff. Because he's being enabled. It enables him in some way that we're not privy to, that we don't see. We can't sit here and speculate and say, it's this situation, it's this person. We don't know. We just got to be honest with each other. We don't know. 
I think he has to be. I I think he has to do anything else but wrestle. You know, he's a musician. He's a visual artist. He does landscaping, and on top of it all, he's a dad. He's he's a husband, a father, an uncle. There's so many other things for him than just fucking wrestling, you know? I think there's a cautionary tale here um, in regards to safety and well-being of wrestlers, right? Um, And again, you know, John Pollock spoke about this in his article and, you know, these are thoughts that I've also had. Um, There's got to be a system put in place to protect wrestlers from themselves, Wrestling is a mindset, you know. There's so sure that you know. There's the there's the training, there's the athletics, and so on and so forth, and you know the physical aspects. But it's also a mindset. And you've heard you as a fan, you've heard countless times wrestlers talk about how they love the cheer of the fans, how they love you know the thrill of combat, you know, and, and how it just it just comes in. It gets them, right? You've heard the term, I'm addicted to this. You've heard this, right? There's nothing better than this in, in, in the entire world. Now, John Moxley himself a few months ago was talking about exactly that. And they work hard to, to be able to, to, to claim one coveted spot on a roster. So many... There are so many little, limited spots on a professional wrestling roster that they do everything they can to get over, right? Whatever it takes to get over. And they'll do it. They'll do it, right? Just like just like a, a, a wrestler not that long ago who was unable to retire, but finally did. They'll do it, as he said, until the wheels fall off. Exactly what's happening with Jeff. And there has to be these safeguards. There has to be some way to protect wrestlers from themselves, from this mentality. Look at what Darby Allen is doing to his body. Yes, it's exciting. And I pop like a. Of course. I pop like anyone else. And he starts diving off of shit and then he's cracking his body on, on ladders and on cement concrete and tumbling downstairs I'm like just this rules and look at what Cody did it's not the exactly the same thing he's not flipping off of ladders and shit like that but we're not that far off it's the it's the same type of I talked about it it's the same type of situation where you're you're creating a precedent work injured Ric Flair wants one more match. Ric Flair, who's got a pacemaker. We all sit around. We we all sit around and and sit in awe like of them as they defy expectations like they're superhumans, right? But they're not. They're still they're still flesh and bone just people. Wrestling is not an easy sport. It's not an easy lifestyle. But wrestling needs to take better care of its people. And there has to be people who are there to take care of them. Take care of wrestlers. 
We don't want broken down people. We don't want, we definitely don't want people dying in the ring. Or even outside of it. We're going to move on to the weekly wrestling inspection. I'm back. (laughs) Here we go. Now we're going to start reviewing some wrestling programming, if you don't mind. We're going to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion Show. That happened this uh, past weekend on June uh, 12th, excuse me, at Osaka Joe Hall. Um, I would say that this is uh, this was not this was not the greatest New Japan show that I've seen, but there were some fantastic spots in it, some great shining moments, but definitely not, definitely not uh, the uh, the top tier. Uh, as it stands right now, Hyper Battle is still my favorite show from New Japan outside of Wrestle Kingdom this year. Let's talk about the show. Let's go over it a little bit. Uh, and don't worry, stick around towards the end. We're going to be talking about AEW Dynamite. But right now, New Japan, the United Empire team of uh, uh, Aaron Hanare, Francisco Akira, and TJP defeated uh, uh, Master Wato, Taguchi, and uh, Hiroshi Tenzan was accompanied to the ring. They were all accompanied to the ring by Manabu Nakanishi, just so showing up to do a little valet thing. That was fine. Like the first few matches, the first few matches are your typical multi-man New Japan shows, and uh, uh, that's it. It's it's just your typical New Japan your New Japan shows. Okay, Germany. I just saw your super chat. Apologies. I will make a note of it to read it. A little towards the end, just so you know. Um, then we had the um, the Bullet Club team of Ace Austin, El Fantasmo, and Taiji Ishimori defeating uh, the Lij crew of Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, well, it's fine. It's fine. 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 Mister Fantastic, nice to see you. By the way, welcome to the chat. Toru, uh, yeah, random single match that came out of nowhere. Toru Yano. Defeated Doc Gallows, uh, the Good Brothers, and this this match was a massive, massive meh. Um, and I, you know, I like Yano. I like Yano matches, but I don't know. Kevin Kelly made me laugh though when he said this is a match that would sell out anywhere in Central Georgia. I thought that was the perfect description for this match. Really thought it was funny. Um, <clears throat> There's the Yano nonsense. He tries to hide under the ring. Uh, he um, he does a low blow and he rolls up uh, Dog Gallows for the win. Look, I've already talked about it too much. It's it's what it was. Then we had the never open weight six man tag team title match where Hearts of Torture, Evil Show, and Yujiro Takahashi, the Tokyo Pimp, took defeated uh, the Suzuki Gun. Uh, a trio of El Desperado, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Fun match, but like clearly for the least interesting titles in New Japan, um, or at least they're down there with the junior tag titles, if you ask me. And you'd think, you'd think a trio of, you know, 
goons of thugs like Desperado, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. would be fierce and awesome and it just it just kind of happened. There's distractions all over the place. Kanemaru hits the moonsault. There's a, a show puts a wrench in his kick pad and he kicks uh, Kanemaru. Shock arrow gets the win. I, you know, it's establishing that the House of Torture uh, play dirty. Ooh, we already know this. Thank you. Then we had the uh, IWGP Tag Team title match where the United Empire team of Great Okan and Jeff Cobb regained their tag titles uh, by defeating the Bullet Club outfit of Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens. This is another very big meh uh, match. Did nothing for me. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Hotshotting the titles again. What was the point? IWGP titles in the mud. Uh, uh, I was excited for the tag division after, uh, uh, after hyper battle. And now I'm bleh, bleh, boring. Uh, I love great O'Connor and Jeff Cobb. I hope they do something really cool with them at forbidden door, uh, because those guys rule. Um, anyway, look, super belly to belly by great O'Connor and a tour of the islands by Jeff Cobb. Get the win. Then after the match, here's the thing. After the match, Rocky Romero attacks the new champs and not Rocky Romero with, you know, other chaos buddies with yo or with Yoshihashi or Goto. No, just him alone. And Kevin Kelly's like, well, this is to get some, some revenge, a uh, pound of flesh from what they did, uh, to Rapongi 3k at, uh, uh, to Rapongi vice, excuse me on, uh, on dynamite. And I'm like, he's alone. What is he doing? Rocky. No. Jeff Cobb. Great O'Connor. And you're like, yeah, I'll punk these bastards out. What are you talking about? Hit the bricks. Pluggo. Nice to see you. Welcome to the chat. Now, from this point on, things start to get interesting. Interim AEW World Title Eliminator match. This was the one that we were excited for, because despite the fact that we knew who was moving forward, but it was officialized. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Roki Goto. I thought this was a fun little match. It was a foregone conclusion, right? That it was, but this was about the journey more than the destination in this match, and it was a fun little journey that we had. Fun, well fought. Both guys played the hits. Dragon screws for Tanahashi. Hiroshi Hiroshi's for Goto. Everything was fine. Uh, Tanahashi put him away. With the aces high, high fly flow, 12 minutes, you're in, you're out, well-worked match. You're like, well, there you go. We got our main event, John Moxley, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Like, there was no other way. There there was nothing else than this outcome here. And I thought the match was, was fun. I thought it was fun. The New Japan King of Pro Wrestling title was successfully defended. Shingo Takagi, the champ. The trophy holder defeated Taichi in a 10-minute unlimited pinfall scramble match. I had a lot of fun watching this. They had uh, uh, they had a a a a um a 30 count pinfall match, if I'm not mistaken. It was 30, a 30 count, couple of uh, in April, something like that. Um, where they I 
it was so refreshing and fun and was just a, a whole new way to approach it. You know, where every, the first person, first wrestler to get to 30 pin counts would get the would get the win. So you cover a guy, pins once, oh, it counts. So that's one on the board. Two, three, that's three points, right? And if you go up to six because you hit your finisher, well, that's six points. That's the, it's the, the, the total amount of, uh, of, uh, of pins but this time they put a time limit. So it was the most pins within 10 minutes. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Shinko gets an early lead with Tai Chi. And Tai Chi really never gets never really gets back from it, right? Uh there's a series of roll-ups and schoolboys, a suplex, DDT, sliding lariat. We're at seven seven to two for uh Shingo at the three-minute mark here. Towards the eight-minute mark, Shingo is leading 10 to 6, and Tai Chi goes on an offensive sprint. Like, he just, just starts going, going hard on offense. Great, there's a, this great 30 seconds, the last 30 seconds, where he pulls up, he starts pulling up some sumo shit, hits a pumping bomber in a frantic attempt to score more points, but he falls just short. Shingo wins... By one pin, 11 to 10. But what a fucking scramble at the end by Tai Chi. I was super into it. This was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And it's a great stip. And again, I hope New Japan doesn't use it too often. You know, every couple of months I think is cool. Because I think there's some great storytelling that can be told here. This rule. that was a, This was a lot of fun. Will worked and so on and so forth. But, you know, the story was... The, the, the guys worked the drama perfectly to the very last second. Great shit. I loved it. The never open way title changed hands as champion Tamatanga lost to his senpai, Carl Anderson. And boy, this was this was the story of the match here, right? This was exactly the story, you know, where Carl Anderson comes back to his student and beats the shit out of him. He's like, no, I'm... I'm back, baby. And Carl Anderson was in control for this entire match. Uh, this spills to the floor early. They fight up the ramp. Um, Carl Anderson with a scoop slam. Senton in the ring. Uh, Tamatanga hits a running crossbody. Avoids a superplex, but eats a spine buster instead. Uh, Tom is uh, even pulling out his old Valeno move. Uh, Sit-up powerbomb by Anderson. Tongan twist by Tamatanga and the cool thing here is that Tamatanga he's being explosive right he's doing this this explosive baby face energy that he's doing but man Arn Anderson is all over him he's got an answer for most of anything that he's doing we even see a fucking Bernard driver in this match Tamatanga lands a huge DVD in the supreme flow Doug Gallows pokes his head in he gets a gun stun by Tamatanga but that also allows Carl Anderson to hit a gun stun and get the win. And you know what? Carl Anderson can still go. And he told us in the press conference after. That when he's in front of 10,000 people. He's going to go. In front of two, 300 people at Impact. He's not going to go as hard. And I fucking love that. That's no bullshit right there. You know he thinks that. IWGP United States Heavyweight Title Match. Juice Robinson was supposed to be in this three-way match, but he was out with appendicitis. 
Kevin Kelly and, and Chris Charlton were supposed were trying to I, they were building like this this whole story concept around it. I didn't quite understand. I'm not gonna lie. Because he was just out with appendicitis. He couldn't wrestle, so he was stripped from the title. So it was it boiled down to the match we were supposed to get from the get-go before people started getting sick and getting injured. We were supposed to get Will Ospreay versus Sonata. <laughs> you know, then uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi was thrown in there. Look, look, this is where we're at. Will Ospreay defeats Sonata. New IWGP United States champion. I think it's still fucking hilarious that Juice Robinson has the title. Will Ospreay is showing up on AEW TV this week. And he doesn't have the IWGP US title. He has his Rev Pro belt. But Juice still has the I still has the United States title. Juice is gonna Juice is gonna pull a he's gonna pull a Jerry Lawler. He's, he's gonna he's gonna hang on to that belt like it's the AWA championship. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this was a fun little match uh with the Paradise Lock in early. Uh, Osprey escapes. Um, uh, a first attempt, but Sonata gets in the second one and makes sure he made sure that one stick before he drop kicked him in the ass. Sky Twister by Will off the post to the floor, which was fantastic. Striking exchange by both guys. Oscutter blocked. Skull end avoided. Will Osprey hits a hook kick right in Sonata's bad eye, right where, where his orbitable and uh, orbit orbitable bone, orbital bone, orbitable bone, orbitable bone. You know the orbital bone? It's right here on your face. And that's where he got kicked. <laughs> so, and uh, he, he got kicked there um, and, and hits an os cutter. Stormbreakers avoided into a rana by Sonata. A rana by Sonata. A rana by Sonata. A rana by any other names, not the same. Yeah. And comes into a close three count. Tiger suplex by Sonata. The moonsault is countered by some knees up. By um, by uh, Will Ospreay, two hidden blades and a stormbreaker. Later, I still think it's strange. I still think it's strange that they didn't belt Sonata. I I I'm surprised that they didn't belt because that Sonata's story for the past six million years is that he's never won a singles title. Right. I was sure that this is where they were going. Fun little match. And then we get to the World Heavyweight title match where Jay White defeated Kazuchika Okada to become the new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. This match was awesome. A great match. White Jay White was in a fucking mood to, th that night with the audience, telling him to gross. He was telling him grow some balls, make some noise for Okada, and I was like, ah, like the heel is telling the audience who wants to cheer, cheer, be be a badass, go against the grain. But they're like, no, you're the bad guy, boo. We're not supposed to do it, but we want to do it. But I love Jay White so much. He and Okada fight on the floor. Uh, White goes um, back in the ring. White goes for like 10 to 12 successive pin attempts. He's being just like a dick. 
Until finally Kazuchika Okada gets back up and pops him right in the mouth. Um, Okada plays the hits. Flapjack, crossbody over the barricade onto both Jay White and Gato, who ended up there. Uh, Jay White snaps suplexes Okada into the barricade. Then he hits a brain buster, a German suplex, a Saito suplex on the floor, a gourd buster on the apron, a Uranagi, super Uranagi, but it's avoided by Kazushiko Okada, who hits a massive missile shotgun drop kick. Hits the top rope elbow, dive. Uh, uh, Jay White starts dragon screwing the legs, and he locks in the the TTO, the Tanahashi tap out, if as we all recall, and he starts to talk shit to Tanahashi, who's on commentary. I swear, Jay White was in a mood. Then transitions into a cloverleaf again, another one of Tanahashi's top moves. Okada is in the ring. He's like, here, this is Okada. I'm owning him. And look, these are all moves. I this is the move that I used to submit. The ace, and look, I'm using the ace's move here. He's such a perfect bastard. Just absolutely, absolutely perfect. Okada goes for more drop kicks and the money clip, but White is digging deep. Sleeper suplex, a regal plex, a bloody Sunday. Okada gets back in control after a short arm rainmaker, but White won't go down. They're reversing in and out of their moods, moves. And their moods too. But Okada uh, Okada hits the landslide. Goes for the Rainmaker. White counters it right into a Blade Runner. <laughs> Lil Kazu's dead. Well, not literally dead. We have a new champion. Great match. Loved it. Match of the year. Wouldn't say that. Wouldn't go that high. But this was a really, really good one. Fantastic stuff. They... I, I love these types of main events. And Jay White, it's been a while since I've seen him back on one of these big stages. He's still the best heel in the business. He is absolutely the best heel in the business. Proved it on Dynamite as well. We're going to talk about that in uh, six million hours, it feels. (laughs) We're going long. Just a fantastic, fantastic main event. So, really, Dominion... And here's the thing with Dominion, right? And maybe it's a question that we always come in with really high expectations. Because Dominion Dominion is the second biggest show of the year for New Japan. And usually there's big happenings, you know? Sure, we got a brand new... Um, we, we have a brand new world champion. That's That's big in itself. No surprises, no big turns, no comebacks... You know, we've got a Kushida who's, uh, you know, gravitating in space somewhere, you know. As far as a Dominion show goes, this wasn't great. Kind of a forgettable Dominion. But, you know, a very half and half show. Very, very half and half. Everything after intermission, I think, was, uh, was fun to great. Fantastic main event. You can't take anything away. Jay White, he's not kidding. He's not kidding when he says that this is his era. He's going to remind, he's going to remind everyone who watches New Japan how great he is. And he's going to introduce himself good and proper to the North American audience. One of the, one of the things that they did reveal at Dominion that was, uh, that was cool was the 
G1 Climax 32. That's right. That's starting on July 16. Just a couple of weeks away. A month. A month to the day. The best tournament of the year. The most fun. This is the this is the best time to get into New Japan and start watching Japanese wrestling. If you're not into it, if you've never seen anything, this is it right here. This is it right here. They announced at Dominion that the G1 is is coming starting August uh, July 16. It's going to run right into August 18, ending at the Budokan, of course. But the big reveal was that we're getting 28 participants in this field. 28 participants separated into four blocks. The block, four blocks uh, hasn't been, the four block system hasn't been set up since, uh, I think, 2000. I think we we haven't, they haven't used the four block system since, uh, it's been 22 years. I believe so. Uh, and let's run down the field here. Scheduled to compete in the G1. Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito, Hiroki Goto, Tama Tonga, Shingo Takagi, Chase Owens, Bad Luck Fala, Yujiro Takahashi. The Tokyo Pimp! Evil! Tom Lawler coming in from across the pond. Juice Robinson, Jonah as well, making his first appearance there. Yoshihashi, Toruyano, Tomohiro Ishii, Jeff Cobb, Great Okan, Will Ospreay, Aaron Hanare, Sonata J. White, Kenta making his return to Japan Pro Wrestling of News. El Fantasmo who's going to go mix it up with the heavyweights. That's exciting. Taichi, Zack Sabre Jr., Lance Archer and David Finley as well uh, coming in from uh, New Japan of America. Great, great stuff. Um, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited for, for how this, uh, for, for, for the New Japan, uh, for, the, uh, for the G1. Uh, every, every year, every year it's the same thing. So, as I said, we've got four blocks for all these fantastic people. Um, the, and the... Uh, w- so the tournament workload, and this is from the, uh, the the flagship podcast on their Patreon. They sort of broke all of this down here. Um, the tournament workload for each wrestler drops from nine bouts to six, right? Which is really good for body resting, for healing, because no two ways about it. It's a grueling tour, the G1 is. Absolutely grueling. So... Um, so so it's going to be less matches for everyone. There's going to be a total of 84 block matches versus the 90. When you when you look at the numbers like that, you're like, Jesus, that's a lot of wrestling. 84 blocks, 84 block matches versus the 90 in the two-block format. And uh and when you factor in two semifinal bouts and one final, it comes out to 87 total versus 91. Um the the main the two main positives i think out of this are are indeed you know more rest for the body not quite as as demanding on physically for the wrestlers which i think is a good thing uh especially cuz you know you've got 
guys in here getting up there in age, you know, so I think that's good. Uh, and you don't, you don't ruin the opportunity. You don't ruin money matches as easily, right? You're not going to have, you can easily avoid, let's put it that way. You can easily avoid a Kazuchika Okada Tetsuya Naito match or a Tetsuya Naito Jay White match within this tournament structure, which is a main event that you could use on any other tour, right? That could be a draw, that could be a main event for, for the end of a tour. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. um, but of course, that at the same time, you can argue, yeah, but you're avoiding potential money matches, which is, yes, it, it works both ways, right? I think the smart money is just to save the real big money matches for, you know, main events and paying gates as opposed to possibilities, uh, tournament brackets, basically. I'm excited to see how this goes. I'm, uh, and um, there's a lot of Bullet Club people, and this was pointed out by a lot of people who were a little dissatisfied with the, uh, with the setup of the G1 this year, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. Of course I am. Um, the, the Bullet Club Civil War story is going to continue, right? It's been start-stop for a while, but now that everything's opened up, there's no more COVID restrictions uh, on travel and you know, much, you know, much less in arenas and so on and so forth, um, they're, they're really going to lean harder into this. And now, we've been talking about that for a couple of months now, that the Bullet Club story is not done. Because you'll notice... You know, when Jay White won the title, when Jay White returned, House of Torture was nowhere to be found. The sub-faction of, new, of uh, the sub-faction of, of, um, uh, of Bullet Club, right? They didn't come out to celebrate. They, they, they were completely cast aside. So there's, there is still some friction there. They, new Japan wanted Jay White back. They wanted him to get strapped again. They wanted him to be the big guy back on campus. Now they got that. Now what's the next step? Probably going to be some. There's probably going to be some pairings, some things that are going to happen throughout the G1 to continue this Bullet Club story. Because, and let's not forget, we had mentioned, we had talked about this that the Bullet Club Civil War story would even have re- repercussions in North America. And look what happened last night on Dynamite, where Adam Cole is like, "Wait, I'm Bullet Club, right?" And Jay White's like, "Nah, bruh." Well, at least didn't kick him out of Bullet Club officially, but there's frictions there as well. Now, coming back to the disappointments, like, I saw a lot of people going, G1, and and I asked on Twitter, I was like, just, you know, no challenge, I'm not trying to disparage anyone, tell me why, you, you tell me why you're, you're disappointed, you know, I, I just want to understand why everyone is disappointed. And a lot of people answered that there weren't many outsiders coming in, right? Not many people from other promotions coming in. We got Lance Archer, Who's in there, right? Um, but um, got Lance Archer was in there, but Lance Archer, he's very much New Japan as well. He's a Suzuki Gun member, like you know, it's it's a, an AEW guy, but not really an AEW guy. But look, first and foremost, Jonah, Tom Lawler, these are guys who work New Japan of America, right? Doesn't it make sense that you would sort of look to those dudes first? Kind of like they did with um, Alex Zane. 
you know, and Clark Connors, guys who are working the U.S. tour, bring them over. Like, it, doesn't it make sense? Because it makes sense to me. Like, if I'm running another brand, I want a little more, you know, crossover. I want to bring guys over to that that already understand our system, that know how we work, that you know, that work New Japan shows elsewhere. Yeah, let's do it, you know? I'm super stoked to see Tom Lawler in this tournament. I really, really, really am. And, you know, they were testing stuff out during the shows that they were doing in North America, like putting Jeff Cobb and Jonah face-to-face in uh, in, uh, in a tag team match, just have them have a stare down in the middle of the ring. People pop crazy for it. They want to see Haas fights like this. Possible in the G1 if they're in the same bracket. See, it makes sense to me. All of this makes mucho senso to me. Um, there's, uh, I mean, that, look. Is there, uh, is there anyone, anyone else they could have invited outside of it? Of course. You know, a lot of people are like, well, very disappointed. I was expecting more AEW people. And, and honestly, I don't know why. I don't know why anyone was expecting more AEW people outside of the fact that they're doing a talent exchange. The thing is, is that, the, the thing is, Tony Khan has to run his promotion and he needs his guys, right? And since there's a lot of top guys in AEW right now who are injured, you know, Omega, Punk, MJF is not injured. He's just not fucking around. He's not there. Brian Danielson has given us a scare these days. Maybe TK is like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to hang on to my guys. Could he have sent more mid-card guys? Absolutely. Of course, he could have absolutely 100% sent a, um, a, a Lee Moriarty. He could have sent a, a fucking uh, butcher. You know, there's a but. Then again, do these people want to work a G1? Do they? Because it is a, a it is a rough schedule, and New Japan is a, it's a snug way to work. There's that too. On the flip side, it's like well. Nah, I don't want to. I don't want to work in Japan. I don't want to work in Japan, and that's fine, you know. So I get it, but also I'm because we all got ourselves hyped, and myself. I'm not gonna lie. I'm still a little disappointed that we're not getting the Brian Danielson G1 run, you know. But then I'm I'm still like, well, Wrestle Kingdom in uh, January, you know. Still could, you know, we could still get, uh, we could still get a dream match nonetheless. That door is open. The door is there. But uh, I'll tell you one thing. The the best of Super Juniors, every, the, the guys worked so hard there. And it was a objectively good tournament. I cannot imagine the heavyweights not going, yeah, uh, let's turn it up. Because they're all going to be excited for cheering and loud crowds again hopefully they'll be back by that time holy shit they're all excited for it they're, they're and they're all going to work extra hard unquestionably now the report from the flagship also noted that kota ibushi wasn't even considered to be a part of the g1 wasn't even thought of wasn't even put on on the on the list i was like no no coda and the feeling in new japan right now is that they are going to let his contract expire and that makes a lot of sense to me 
That really makes a lot of sense. I, guys, gals, non-binary pals, if you're attached to Kota Ibushi in New Japan, I'm afraid to, I'm afraid, I'm afraid he's never going to wrestle there again. I think he's done. But with everything happened, how everything went down, and how we disrespect, like he he wasn't convinced with the apology, with the press conference, and so on and so forth. I think I really think they're going to let the contract run out. Just a couple of uh, quick Noah notes, if you don't mind, because um, they had uh, Cyberfest this weekend. I didn't watch it. Um, followed some of the news though that came out of it. Some interesting stuff. First and foremost. Uh, Kaiji Muto, the great Muda, announces his retirement. Uh, he announced it at Fiber, uh, Cyber Festival this uh, Cyber Fest this weekend. Muto 59, I'm reading this off of uh, Figure 4 online. Muto 59 came to the ring at uh, NOAA DDT and Tokyo Joshi Pro joint event Cyber Fest Festival and announced that he will retire next spring. He said he will have five more matches before his retirement. Muto, of course, recently returned to action in New in uh, Pro Wrestling Noah back in May after recovering from a left hip injury. Uh, and uh, the reasons, and this is off of uh, an article off of postwrestling.com, um, the, uh, the, uh, the reasons uh, go as follows. This is uh, what he, uh, this is what he said. Uh, the why he's retiring from wrestling. Quote, doctor's stoppage. To be honest, I was working on the basis of trust with the doctor, and since I am also a professional wrestler, I thought that fouls within a five-count limit would be allowed. For example, I did a moonsault, which I was told I was forbidden. But the world is not all about the rules of wrestling. When asked why he is choosing to retire next spring, he admitted he truly does not want to step away. See? sort of connects to the point I was making earlier about the until the wheels fall off, right? He wants to do as many matches as he can in that time frame, but thinks that if he has limited matches in Noah leading up to his to the retirement match, it could be somewhat of a draw. Quote, I don't really want to quit. I really don't want to quit, but I want to do as many matches as I can within that time frame. I want to leave behind what I can in Noah. That's why I decided on next spring. I want to contribute a little. I'm sure Noah will have more big matches in the future. I have my limited matches there. It would be a little draw, wouldn't it? And he says that he wants to work five more matches until he's done. Uh, this is uh, good news. But, I mean, look, I don't think... Look, Kaiji Muto is not going to retire, retire. He's one of those until the wheels fall off. If the money's good and the event is right, he'll wrestle again. Might not be in, he might freelance for a while, but this he's not he's not over, not over by a long shot, absolutely not. But I mean, distinguished career. We can do a recap later, but as it stands right now, I think his retirement was overdue. This is a shadow of the man that once was the great Muda, um, and I think that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Uh, I think it's good that he's thinking about himself and his health in this situation, even though he clearly doesn't agree with his doctors. There was, um, there was also an, uh, uh, an unfortunate incident that happened um, at the uh, at Cyberfest this weekend, where uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima abruptly knocked out 
the DDT KOD champion Tetsuya Endo in a six-man tag match, a Noah versus DDT tag team bout with an open hand slap. Um, and he knocked him out cold, um, completely passed out. Uh, Endo had to be taken out of the ring uh, with um, f- with uh, medical personnel, and uh, all suspect we also su- suspect that he uh, suffered a concussion because of it. Uh, Junakiyama, who was there, <laughs> there's one guy you don't want to piss off. Immediately chastised Nakajima, and I'm reading the, this uh, bit of reporting from uh, the uh, the flagship podcast that uh, have the most interesting bits of uh, puro uh, news these days. Akiyama immediately chastised Nakajima in the ring, and later, along with office personnel on both sides, Noah and DDT, in the locker room. Nakajima was said to be contrite and apologetic, insisting the knockout was not intentional. Endo will miss uh, the King of DDT tournament, uh, noting in a statement that he has not yet been cleared by doctors, and as a result, he had to forfeit the KOD title, which is now vacant what a what a fucking shit show this is this is the definition of a shit show so just in case we're all clear here a wrestler decided to shoot on another wrestler knocked him out cold and now that wrestler who had a championship belt has to relinquish it because he won't be cleared in time to uh to wrestle it to defend it Nakajima earlier had heat in the uh, uh, during the course of the week for pulling the same type of stunt on Tsushi Kotoge, uh, giving him a hard slap that just knocked him out too, knocked him loopy though, didn't knock him out cold, um, at a press conference. And that happened just a few days earlier. The reports was that Nakajima was cocky, arrogant, disrespectful, and the endo situation just sparked a political nightmare between DDT and Noah because he was no selling the he was no selling the offense and not like no selling in a wrestling mat type way and it's like no he just like completely like looking aside and taking the hits and completely no selling endo uh and would and then knocking him out and of course that creates a shit storm because uh, endo is the top guy in DDT and you're making him look like a chump. But, you know, look, here's the thing. And I'm not trying to defend what, what happened. Because, look, every professional wrestler puts their lives and livelihood in the hands of other professional wrestlers, right? No one, everyone looks ultimately looks out for each other because it's it's just trust. If, if you take care of someone's body, they'll be able to keep going through the match. Everyone looks good and everyone will be able to have careers. So, we start breaching that trust. It's a bit of a problem. I don't, and I, you know, I can't sit here and endorse what Nakajima did. That being said, I've talked about what happened, what's been happening behind the scenes in Noah uh, over the past couple of months, um, with the old guys going over the the younger guys getting pushed down, getting losing in ridiculous ways, being put in unimportant matches. You know the 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 terrible booking, WCW esque levels of backstage politicking going on. So I'm not going to defend what Nakajima did, but you know what? You know what happens when you corner an animal, right? 
at some point the angry animal is going to lash out and i think this is what what it all boiled what what it all boiled up to was this professional was this a good way to handle the situation oh absolutely not and i'm convinced like endo had nothing to do with this endo's in he's the ddt guy i don't know i honestly don't know i honestly don't know what um nakajima was trying to prove here but more wrinkles in the noah backstage uh events super curious to see. my first my first um my first reflex was that he wants to get he wants to get fired he just he just wants to get fired and maybe he will 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 he get rehired i think he will be nakajima he's a star and he's a hell of a wrestler on top of that i wouldn't be surprised wouldn't be surprised at all if he makes it anywhere else and maybe he'll just let you know maybe noel just let his contract go through i don't know but how do you punish someone who wants to be punished do you book him in more shit matches under the threat that he might shoot again you know what i mean but then it's bad for him twisty situation as they say in the business the news business this is a developing story and jk schwal left us a super chat thank you very much jk schwal he says coin drop happening in milwaukee on wednesday as far as kazuchiko kata showing up look i hope so but i think it's doubtful unless he like he does a red eye back to japan because he's on the tour right now he's doing he's on the new japan tour right now here let's let's take a second here and we're gonna pull up new japan pro wrestling let's take a look at the schedule let's see next wednesday is going to be the 22nd is that it well look it's not impossible okay it's not impossible because he's wrestling he's wrestling uh at uh he's wrestling at, at uh Karukan hall on uh on the on june 21st so technically he could jump on a plane and make it well enough in time for dynamite the next day he could and then the next show for new japan happens on july 3rd so technically speaking he could be there he really could he really could show up at dynamite in milwaukee of all fucking places (laughs) i'm I'm kidding i love milwaukee (laughs) he could he could though thank you for the super chat jk appreciate it a great deal let's talk about dynamite road rager first the the for the 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 road rager that opened up with the uh hair versus hair match chris jericho defeated ortiz ortiz is bald now Mm. strong opening match per usual strong match for a molten hard crowd my god this audience was they were ready for some dynamite and they were into it and they loved every second of it. 
They brawl on the floor. Top rope run by uh, Chris Jericho gets blocked by Ortiz into a powerbomb, which was cool. Jericho suplexes Ortiz off the apron to the floor. And I'm like, Jesus, look at these bumps. Stalling suplex by Jericho back in the ring. Then there's a lot of distractions fighting on the floor. It distracts the ref. And I don't know why referees get distracted from by guys fighting outside the ring. You, you Keep your eyes in the ring, right? Anyway, while the ref is distracted, Eddie Kingston run, runs in and backfists Jericho. Ortiz covers, but referee's too slow to get there. Chris Jericho kicks out. There's another melee outside, which leads to Fuego del Sol coming out of nowhere and attacking uh, Ortiz with the bat, giving Chris Jericho the win. But lo and behold, it is not Fuego del Sol. It is Sammy Guevara, who is back. He is uh, officially a member of the Jericho Appreciation Society all the way back to start. Well, look, I I don't think Sammy was fit to be a babyface. I, I didn't believe it. I didn't get into it. I don't think he worked. I think he's naturally, I think he's not, he, he comes across very naturally, kind of scummy, kind of like a sleazeball. I think it he works best as a heel. It feels a little counterproductive. To swing him all the way back with Jericho, I guess. But I think it's probably a better fit than him just trying to be an act on his own. Because I think Tony feels that he may have been starting to get some go-away heat. So, instead of just putting his head in the sand, it's like, we're putting you back with, um, putting you back with Jericho. Ortiz is in the ring and he's he's shaving his head off. And he's Eddie Kingston is with him and says, Tell him what you want, monkey. That's his old name. It's a blood and guts. Blood and guts. <laughs> then we had uh, Wardlow defeating 20 dudes, the plaintiff thing. Now, I know a lot of people enjoyed it, had a good time, looked at it and said, this is great, and your boy Warren is going to sit here in this nice comfy chair, I don't have my headrest, but I'm still going to sit here, I'm going to tell, I'm going to be that guy, I'm going to tell you, this was not good, and it's not even like, oh, it was a little bit, no, no, it was not good, this is the first Wardlow misstep, that I would say. This is the, this is, um, and I'm not saying that this is, spells disaster. I'm just saying that it's strange that in a context where they've been doing everything perfectly with Wardlow. Like, I mean, to a T. This could have been done an entirely different way. And it was confusing. It was hard to follow. All the dudes look alike, of course, because they're all the security. But there was no... There was nothing, there was someone who said they should have all come out like, you know, like in the old Batman show, you know, where all the villains, the the, the henchmen would have numbers and stuff like that, you know. Then at least you're like, oh, there's number one, number two. But poor Dasha is like outside the ring and she's calling shit and then 
some guys get eliminated, and then other guys get eliminated, then all of a sudden, ding, 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 then you hear the bell. It's like, okay, is the match done? Oh, no, 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 they just didn't ring the bell for the other eliminations. Like, it was, it was not good. And it's a shame because I was looking forward to this because every time Wardlow had to deal with these, these dweebs, he was, they were like lemmings coming after him to the slaughter. And here was like, mm, this ain't working. This, this is not, this should have been produced another way. I think there was something interesting. There's something fun that could have been done. But <clears throat> this wasn't it. This really wasn't it. So post-match, because there was a post-match angle to this as well. Uh, Wardlow gets his hands on Mark Sterling, puts him in the ring. Then Dan Lambert pops out of nowhere and gets on the mic and he says, you know, he tells them that the American top team are everywhere and they're going to get you something like that. And then we get a shot of UFC greats Tyrone Woodley and legend Matt Hughes in the front row. And Dad tell, Dan tells them, get in the ring and kick his ass. So they get in the ring. Wardlow has a mic and he says, look, you guys are from St. Louis. You're hardworking dudes. So one, from one Midwestern hardworking dude to another, you don't have to take this shit from Dan Lambert or something like that. Don't take, have to take orders from this asshole. And Woodley then grabs Sterling and tosses him to Wardlow, who powers bombs him. Um, it was all right, you know. Like I, I, they were going for the local St. Louis hero pop with Woodley and 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 um, uh, why uh, Matthews? Jeez. They were, that's what they were going for, but I don't think it connected. I don't think it worked. None of this was this like this was the low point, audience energy wise, in all the show. They were red hot for everything. This really didn't work. This this really 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 didn't connect. No, but I will say, glad to see Matt Hughes. Um, in case y'all didn't know, a couple of years ago he was he was hit by a fucking train. Brother was hit by a train in his car and he was like he was medically induced in a coma for like almost 20 days or something 19 20 days something like that and he recovered and he went through a very dark period and but you know of course he, he's got severe brain damage you know and people are like, yeah, he looks drunk he's not drunk he's not drunk um i'm there's something something cool about that moment, nonetheless. You know, it's like, yes, it was. He looked awkward, so on and so forth. But you know, it's like Jesus Christ. I look awkward. Look, I've I've never been hit by a train, and I look awkward. I have no excuse. <laughs> that was nice. I appreciated that. Then we had Will Osprey defeating Dax Harwood in mark my words, one of the top television matches. You will see in 2022 this year. It ruled. Commentary was calling it a dream match. I was like, pump the brakes here, Excalibur. Pump, pump the brakes. I know you're I know you're excited. I know you're you've got Tony Khan in your ear saying, uh Excalibur, you gotta talk fast and also say this is a dream match, but also talk fast. Like that's that's how I Tony Khan's cues. It's like it's always man, talk fast, Excalibur. 
Um, this match rule, I wouldn't call it a dream match at all because no one, no one had this on their... Look, I would poll 10,000 wrestling fans. I guarantee if I asked them to lay down their top 25 dream matches, not a single one of them would put Will Ospreay and Dax Harwood on that list. It's not a dream match, but it was a great match. Don't get me wrong, but come on now, a dream match. This, this is, don't start getting into, you know, WWE trying to sell us, giving us the hard sell on bullshit, all right? I'm not into that. Strength moves by Dax to start off with, a snap suplex, a snap leg drop as well. They go on the floor, shotgun drop kick by Osprey, sends Dax right into the into the stairs. Then Dax, he starts going for some German suplexes. He go, Then you're like, oh, he's doing a trio. No, then he does a fourth one. No, then he does a, a fifth one. Then he waits a little bit, and then he does another one. We're up to five. And they trade some massive chops. Super backdrop driver by, by Dax is reversed midair by Osprey into a crossbody. Pescado by Osprey. Then later on, lands on his feet after a slingshot Liger Bomb attempt by Dax. But then Osprey goes for the Oscutter. cutter. Dax blocks it and then hits the slingshot Liger Bomb. Mwah! More strikes. Osprey hits a Liger Bomb. An Oscutter, a hidden blade. He gets the win. This shit ruled. Again, I, I completely... Will Ospreay, I get it, is an acquired taste for many. But he is a fine professional wrestler. A goddamn world-class professional wrestler. Undeniable. Dax Harwood having the best year of his career. He's five-starring tag team matches and he's getting singles matches with CM Punk, with... Will Ospreay, and he's killing it. He's producing shit that were completely unexpected. And this is a tag team specialist. He's turning out to be one of the more one of the more well-rounded wrestlers out there. A guy that now you're like, yeah, I want to see him wrestle singles. This is great. I want any of you. To find someone who loves professional wrestling as much as Dax Harwood. And the list is minimal. This guy loves pro wrestling. He, oh, he loves his wife and his girls as well. Of course, we know this. He provides for them. But this is a guy who lives and breathes pro wrestling. This is a guy who is never going back to WWE. He's never going back. And he loves Brett. <laughs> of course he loves Brett because he loves pro wrestling. Everyone who loves pro wrestling loves Brett. Anyway. After the match, the United Empire get in the ring. All the rest. Uh, they're, they're all there. But uh, including Great O'Conn. Including Jeff Cobb who are there with the IWGP titles. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Cash Wheeler runs in. Rapungi Vice run in. A brawl. A brawl breaks out. The heels, they're, they're dominating everyone. And then all of a sudden, the Pixies starts playing in the background. The crowd fucking erupts. 
for Orange Cassidy, a guy who hasn't been on TV for a while now. And are you going to tell me that Orange Cassidy is not over in this crowd? I dare anyone to tell me that he's still not a top guy. And we are getting, for all intents and purposes, well, I mean, it's been confirmed, right? We got the graphic in. We're getting Will Ospreay versus Orange Cassidy at Forbidden Door, a match that no one thought of, that no one was like, this is a match I absolutely need to see. But now that we got it, we're like, this is going to rule. This, this, that match right there has the potential to be the show stealer of the night. We have a potential easy match of the year on our hands right here. Then we get the uh, John Moxley Tanahashi face-to-face segment. Of course, John is going to do most of the talking here. See, this is the difference between this promotion and another promotion. Because in an, the other promotion, they'd get the they'd force the non-native speaker, the non-native English speaker, to cut a promo so that he sounds like a dope, right? Anyway, Moxley here. Says he's been chasing Tanahashi for years. Uh, you know, he's chased him across Japan to New Japan Strong. He wrestled Kenta in an empty warehouse. But it's always been about him fighting Tanahashi. He wants to challenge the ace. Uh, he, The ace, Tanahashi, deserves respect. He's an inspiration to generations and to Moxley himself. But it's a fact and not a catchphrase when he says, right now he is the best professional wrestler on the planet. Uh, and he says that there's a lot on the line at Forbidden Door, more than just the interim AEW title. And then when the uh, and when the dust settles, he says, Tanahashi-san, you are going to call Moxley ace. Chris Jericho then pops up with Sammy Guevara, Tai Conti. Jericho says the only reason Moxley is in the ring is because he wasn't there last week and that Moxley took his spot. Um, and Tanahashi gets his one line in. And he says, Chris, shut up. And, was, and everyone, everyone exploded. Everyone, everyone loved it. You know, th- these are the same weirdos who are going to tell me, we don't know who these people are. Right? These are the same weirdos who are going to be like, uh, no one knows who Hiroshi Tanahashi is. And then you get Hiroshi Tanahashi in the ring saying, shut up. And the crowd pops, right? I, you know, I'm not getting into that. I'm, I'm already going too long. Um, so that, so Tanahashi tells Chris uh, Jericho to shut up and then uh, things happen and then suddenly from out of nowhere Lance Archer and El Desperado attack Moxley and Tanahashi from behind Then Jericho and the, Jer- and the Jericho Appreciation Society come down and they beat down some more and uh, and uh, uh, Chris then talks about how he's going to be teaming with Archer, Lance Archer, and El Desperado, who he has on loan from Minoru Suzuki. Well, he'll be tagging with Minoru Suzuki, uh, Sammy, uh, Sammy Guevara, and himself uh, against Yuda, Shota Umino, and uh, Eddie Kingston at Forbidden Door. Multi-man match, lots of stuff happening there. It's fine. Tanahashi and Moxley clear the ring and then they have another stare down. So that's good stuff. 
Then we had the AEW All-Atlantic title qualifying match where Miro from Romania, Bulgaria, Bulgaria, defeated Ethan Page from Canada. Short, effective, well, well put together match. You know, nothing to, nothing to write home about, but fine stuff. Page worked uh, the uh, Miro's arm with some kicks, but then Miro does the same thing. He goes after Page's arm uh, as well. Page hits a flying shoulder block, block off the apron. Miro hits a belly to belly overhead suplex. Machka kick. I don't know. Does he still call it the Machka kick? Probably not anymore. But Machka kick, game over. <laughs> Miro advanced, uh, advances. No surprise here. Then we get a Dante Martin video package. Uh, hyping up a match he has against John Moxley at Rampage this week. Then uh, we have Tony Storm, who defeated Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Interesting booking there. First of, first of all, Pretty promo by Tony Storm. I liked it. was good. Best foot forward for Tony. I liked it. And this was a a, a well-fought match. I enjoyed it. Tony Storm, she comes in. She's swinging, right? She comes in swinging. Uh, they brawl on the floor. Uh, ba- Baker has to send uh, uh, Storm into the post to get any kind of advantage on her. Flying crossbody by Tony Storm later on in a tornado DDT off the apron to the floor. Get a German suplex, the corner cannonball, and then Britt Baker fakes, oh, I'm hurt, I'm hurt, I, I, and she suckers Tony Storm into a lockjaw, but that's reversed into a German suplex and into the Storm Zero for the win. Nice, effective, puts Tony Storm, it, it, it was really a best foot forward scenario for Tony Storm. Uh, uh, uh. We had uh, um, uh, Britt Baker's crew come to try and run interference, but Thunder Rosa come out, came out to sort of break that shit apart. Very interesting that Britt Baker eats a clean win here. I think this might help curb some um, some feelings that have started to bubble up in regards to uh, to Britt Baker, where you know I get she's the face of the division, so on and so forth, but. I think a lot of people were starting to feel like she's getting charlotted a little bit. You'll notice that she didn't come out with the uh, with the Owen belt this week. I think that that ship has sailed because that was a comment I talked about it last week, and a lot of people brought it up. There's so many fucking belts on AEW. It's just a question of streamlining, like who is important, who what what belts do I need to care about because there's so many uh, all over the place, right? Um, so probably. Some feedback was given and was heard and was put into application. And I I absolutely appreciate that. So we're getting, we are getting Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm at Forbidden Door. I think that's really dope. I think that's good. And, you know, it was a crossover event it's not a versus event it was never AEW versus New Japan you know it's a crossover event so you know if AEW wants to put on women's matches they can go right ahead and don't need to have the necessarily the the New Japan connection in all the matches just like if New Japan wanted to put on a straight up uh a straight up New Japan match without any uh, AEW stuff I'd be fine too I'd be fine with, uh, with that too Fun little match. I think it made Tony Storm look really good. Uh, and uh, 
sets up that match for uh, Forbidden Door. You get a Stokely Hathaway uh, interview backstage where he's uh, he continues Jade Cargill's... Well, Jade Cargill has issued an open challenge, right? And uh, he'll be on commentary as well, so he... So he made sure to underscore the fact that he's getting two paychecks because that's the Stokely way. Uh, Willow Nightingale walks in to accept the challenge and he's he's like, don't you, I don't know who you are. She's like, yeah, I don't know. We've crossed paths in the past. I don't know. Anyway, thank you, Wilma. We'll consider your application. Wilma. Fantastic stuff. Just a little bit of Stokely magic puts a, a lot of, puts a lot of stuff over. Hangman Adam Page hits the ring, gets on the mic. He says that he called out Kazuchika Okada last week because he wanted a match against him and his title. But as he says, as a self-professed occasional dumbass, <laughs> he didn't take into uh, into account that Okada might lose the title, which did indeed happen this weekend when Jay White swiped the blade, uh, swiped the blade, swiped the bl- the belt away from uh, Okada. Adam Cole then pops out and cuts him off, of course. Cole congratulates uh, White, uh, and, but says that um, um, that he uh, that there won't be any challenges, that he he won't be challenging for the World Heavyweight Championship at Forbidden Door because it's not about AEW or New Japan. It's about the undisputed elite and the Bullet Club, and that means Adam Cole versus Jay White. And Okada, he says Okada's not going to be there. That's a whole other thing. Um... But there's someone here tonight who wants to say hello. And Switchblade Jay White's music hits. He doesn't come out of the ramp area. He attacks Adam Page from behind. Knocks him out with a Blade Runner. Then cuts a fantastic promo. Fantastic promo. I am Jay White. I am the catalyst of professional wrestling. I am the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. This is my era. Going through the whole nine yards. He says, I'm the champion. I make the rules. I won't be re- putting up my IWGP World Heavyweight Championship up against you, Adam Page. And Adam Cole is applauding at the top of the ramp in the meantime. And he says, it won't be against you either, Adam Cole. He says, he holds all the cards and the title. And that means the world breathes with the switchblade. And Adam Cole is like, wait. So you see... The Bullet Club story, right? Like we were talking about in Japan, it's carrying overseas as well. I like that. I I really like this segment, and I thought this is this was Jay White's penultimate moment to get himself over with the North American crowd, so that people really understand who he is. And this was perfect. He attacks the top, top babyface, cuts a fire promo, and shuts down Adam Cole. So you know. If he's hanging with Paige and Cole, he's a top guy. Like, everything with uh, about this work. And he just continues being a fantastic heel. Just being an absolutely fantastic, fantastic heel. Jay White shows up. What else could happen on this AEW Dynamite card? Well, how about the World Tag Team titles changing hands? That's right. The Young Bucks defeated Dino 210 to regain the AEW World Tag Team titles becoming the first the first tag team to be the uh, to be a two-time tag team uh, champion 
to be tag team champion, two-time tag team champion. Um, I really don't know how to talk about this match. Um, like this was the spots show. The show was the stunt show. Um, I I love the Young Bucks. I think they're great, and I think a lot of people really like this match. Really, really did, and I think it's. I think this match is overblown. You know, great stuff, right? Like there's stuff that you're like, holy shit! You know the the assisted, uh, uh, the assisted Rana over the ropes that puts Mac Jackson through a table. That the you know when Jungle Boy and uh, and, and Luchasaurus were doing their things together. And then they try to get on the other side with Nick, but Nick sees it coming and he power bombs uh, Jungle Boy through a table. Nick does a five a four fifty through the table onto the floor. Matt Jackson does the diving elbow to the floor and through a table. Luchasaurus takes the big ladder tip spot through a table fort. You know, they built a fort of tables. And uh, and it's a BTE trigger that puts Jungle Boy down and they climb up the ladder and become the first two-time AEW Tag Team Champions. Again, like, you know, it's one of these car crashes that a lot of people like. This is the kind of, this is the kind of Young Bucks match that I don't care for. It doesn't do it for me. I think they're better than this. Uh, and I, you know, I saw a lot of cheering. Oh, best tag team in the world, so on and so forth. This, I don't even think this was their best. Uh, this what I don't think this was even their best effort. I, I've seen much sounder, better matches from the Young Bucks than this here. Congratulations on them for winning the titles back. Uh, clearly, this was to initiate the Christian Swerve because he gets. He he turns on Jungle Boy. He's assisting him out of the ring, but he attacks him instead and concertos him as well. Um, there's a lot of speculation that Jungle Boy was really hurt because Tony Khan came out and I think they're just working the the injury angle really really well and getting people really really frightened. You know, I think they saw what happened with. Brian Danielson a couple of weeks ago when Danielson was working the injury that he was caught, you know, and everyone was like, oh no, how unsafe conditions. And I think that's what they're doing here. It's the same type of situation. Tony Khan coming out. It's all work. I'm sure Jungle Boy's fine. But uh, I enjoyed this. I think this was, uh, this was fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jason Major, nice to see you. Welcome to the chat. I think, I, I think this was probably as well the, uh, uh, the, um, the, the switch probably was this was not planned when the Hardy Boys were involved in this. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'll, I think AEW could do without a ladder match for a long, long time. I'm a little spent on ladder matches right now. I don't think they're as exciting. I think they're. I think AEW has uh, is running it into the ground a little too much. I think they could pull back. Give us give us some breathing room. Allow us to miss the ladder match a little bit. That was dynamite. So, with all of these proceedings here, with all of these proceedings here, um, we can take a quick look at the Forbidden, Car- Forbidden Door card uh, as it stands right now. We've got John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the AEW interim, the interim, excuse me, AEW World Championship. Uh, we uh, we're still settling everything for the 
inaugural tournament uh, for the uh, f- uh, excuse me I'm now I'm, I'm completely completely putting words in front of other words that don't necessarily work together we're still putting together the four-way match for the inaugural AEW All-Atlantic Championship Pac Miro have secured their places we're missing the winner of Malachi Black versus uh, Penta Oscuro uh, and uh, the winner of uh of Hanma versus Clark Connors and Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. So it's going to be one of those four guys yet. We've got the Jericho Appreciation Society um, and Minoru Suzuki versus Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta and Shota Umino. We've got Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy, which is wild as hell. And it's going to be for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship and the AEW World Women's World Championship Thunder Rosa taking on Tony Storm. Uh, I hope we do get Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. And by the way, I think there is a fair chance that Kazuchika Okada is going to be here. Of course, a heel is going to tell you. A heel is going to tell you he's not going to show up. Right? Right. Right? Now, what, what should I answer? What should you answer people who say, but if you're going to have Kazuchika Okada on, wouldn't you want to announce him way ahead of time so that people... First of all, the show is sold out. The, the, arena, the arena was sold out without anything at all. So that, that doesn't matter. All you have to do is buy is, is, is settle a pay-per-view. That's all you have to do. Everything, the entire build at this point is to get people to buy it on Fight or on Bleacher Network or wherever, right? That's that's all that's left. And I buy pay-per-views the same day. I don't I don't buy pay-per-views, you know, weeks in advance, even if I'm really excited for it. I was super excited for All Out, but I bought it the same day. You know what I mean? So at this point, if they add Okada, they're just adding on people, well, oh, well, now I'm going to buy it. Now, for sure, I'm going to watch it. You know, we talked about it a little earlier with J.K. Schwal's Super Chat. I think there is, it is feasible, it is conceivable for Kazuchika Okada to show up next week at Dynamite because he's wrestling on the 21st and Dynamite's on the 22nd. So, it is conceivable for him to get a flight in and be there on time and then stick around for the show. It's entirely possible. I think we're getting a four-way. And I think the fact... Never mind that Adam Cole said that Kazuchika Okada's not going to be there. He's a fucking heel. That's what he's supposed to do. If Jay White doesn't have an opponent as it stands right now, it's because there's an element missing. There's something missing. And I think we're getting a fatal four-way for the IWGP heavyweight title. So I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not worried. I think there's a very fair chance that Kazuchika Okada is going to be at, uh, at Forbidden Door still. I'm calling it. It's a four-way match. I'm still, I'm still sticking to my guns on that one. And all it's going to do is it's going to help drive the buy rate. That's all. And this this myth, this weird situation where it's like, 
we need to build months in advance for the pay-per-view. You know, we they should be doing this for weeks. Why? Look, the most important thing they have to do is sell the building out. They have to get people in the seats. Done. Everything at from this point on is gravy. Now it's just all about the buy rates. Now they, they can spring Kazuchika Okada five days before the pay-per-view and it's going to generate buys. They can. No one is sitting around saying, well, this is my cutoff. Uh, it's I had to decide this week and uh, whatever happens next week is just too bad. This was the week I was supposed to buy the pay-per-view. Sorry, no one does that. No one does that. And we are going to wrap up the weekly wrestling inspection on that note. Before we wrap it up, AK Germany 96, a little later earlier on, left a super chat. Thank you very much. He says, it was when we were talking about uh, Jeff Hardy. Uh, he says, the interesting thing Hardy said to police is that he has brain scans coming up. If true, it wouldn't be a good look for TK and how he has booked him. Look, that depends, right? It depends on a bunch of things. Maybe the brain scans were preventative. Maybe it was because of, you know, he got knocked loopy uh, at double or nothing, right? And everyone was like, oh, that wasn't good. Maybe, maybe he was ordered, medical ordered him to get some brain scans done and he wasn't supposed to compete until uh, until he got those brain scans. Maybe Jeff is just talking out of his ass. We don't know. But this all comes to the same basic precept. We need we need better safeguards for wrestlers taking care of themselves. They really do. It's otherwise otherwise history doesn't we just don't learn from history and we're just going to keep doing the same damn shit over and over and over again. And I'm the only guy who has to do the same shit over and over again. It should be just me coming back here every Thursday. I'll be back next week, next Thursday, for another edition of the Mr. Warren Hay Show. It'll be the last one before before I move. So be sure to be here. Like the video if you're still here, if you're still enjoying this, if you're watching this on demand. Pop into the comments. Leave me, leave me a comment. Let me know what you're excited about uh, in the upcoming wacky world of pro wrestling. Let's talk about it. I, I love discussion. And you know what? Leaving comments, it helps out. It helps out quite a bit. So I'd appreciate that. But I appreciate all of you for listening, for tuning in, for joining me live and sticking through all of this. I appreciate it a great deal. And I hope everyone has a beautiful, wonderful weekend. Enjoy it. Enjoy it to the max. See you.